from the Utah School Counselors Association, this is The Sounding Board, where school counselors share ideas. I'm Nate Webb, school counselor, USCA board member, and every week I'll be speaking with different counselors and professionals that will be giving us valuable information in our counseling world. We cannot wait for you to hear these ideas. Let's get to it. All right, everybody, welcome back to the sounding board for the Utah School Counselors Association. Today, I have here with me Salt Lake Behavioral. I have, I already forgot your names. Nina's one of them and Gina's the other. There we go. They rhymed. Um, they are, oh my gosh, they are the fine folks at Salt Lake Behavioral. So I have one of these cool little squeezy guys and one of it just exploded in my hand. So oh, that's no. fun. Um, anyway, I am so excited for these guys to be here with us today because they are a huge, huge, um, tool for the Utah School Counselors Association and for school counselors in general. Um, so please introduce yourselves and tell us a little about what you do. Well, I'm Nina Farrell and I'm the assistant director of business development. And I have been with the hospital for about 12 years now. And um, I come from a background of working in um, helping to develop psychiatric hospitals. And my primary role now is doing outreach and community education, kind of sharing what uh, we do here and obtaining information on what the needs are in the community so that we can find ways to better serve everyone's um, patients. Yeah, and I'm Gina Cunningham. I'm a clinical mental health counselor right now working as the main adolescent therapist on our inpatient psychiatric unit. For adolescents. And so what do you guys, how do you guys collaborate with school counselors? Well, we, um, in a number of ways, actually, because uh, the school counselors are often the ones that are uh, on the forefront of identifying behavioral challenges and challenges with the teen. Sometimes parents are, are um, in communication with the teachers. So we get direct referrals from, from teachers, from families, from psychologists, from school counselors, uh, sometimes from even from the police if they get involved. Um, we do emergency admissions here 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So we have an intake office where folks can bring their uh, young person to be assessed to see what level of care they might need in, in a crisis. Uh, so that's one way. We also do uh, outreach and do support for the schools, uh, their resource centers, their family nights. We do quite a few of those around the valley. Uh, we do CEU events and education. So that, that's uh, kind of the, the main way that we work with the counselors. Um, mm -hmm. And then obviously when the kids are referred from the emergency rooms, uh, they may not come in directly from the schools, but um, they definitely work collaboratively. All of these kids are in school. So then they come in and then on the back end, that's yeah. where Gina comes in with treatment and um, making sure that a discharge, that information is that there's a sound discharge plan when folks return into the community and to school. Yeah. A lot of times their school counselor is the one who they talk to a lot. And so mm -hmm. when we meet with the families, they're able to identify, yeah, I can go to my school counselor. Or, no, I can't. And then we work a lot with the parents to help them set up um, like 504 plans and IEP plans when they're needed. Um, mm -hmm. As most of you know, like every kid is struggling in school is a oh, huge yeah. stressor for them right now. And sometimes that school work in general, or sometimes it's peers at school. And so really occur, I really encourage them to reach out to their school counselor for help when needed. And, and a lot of that happens like in that family meeting when they meet with the parents. Yeah. A lot of school counselors. So I'm just a third year counselor, but a lot of school counselors, especially at the high school level, they're familiar with Salt Lake behavioral because 
that's usually where kids are referred to when they're happy, where they have suicide ideation, um, when they need to go somewhere and go somewhere. Now, a lot of the times they go over to Salt Lake behavioral and that's how, that's the kind of relationship that we have. Now, I know a lot of counselors don't know about the out, the, the, the discharging process from, from the facility. They know that we send them there to make sure they're okay. And then when do they send them back? And, um, Sorry, my phone went off and I hit the voicemail button because I like watching it beep. JK. Um, so, but yeah, so what is that discharge process to make a plan for them and things like that so they can be in a better place moving forward? Yeah. So prior to discharge, every patient has a family meeting, which is mediated by myself, or we have a couple of other therapists that work on the unit, but I usually do most of the family meetings. Um, and in that process, they do what's called a discharge safety plan. So parents are able to know what triggers patients, um, what their warning signs are. So when they start noticing some warning signs, they can kind of intervene early Mm -hmm. and then maybe help them find some support. A lot of times kids will come here and they don't have great coping skills. So we try to give them as many as they possibly can get while they're at our facility. And so some of them will start ask parents, Hey, I really like going to yoga. Can we like go to yoga together? Or I really like all these, um, you know, reading and music and things like that. And so we're able to work with the parents to find a better way for the kids to be able to cope uh, when they go back home. And then some of those are, you know, identifying what they can do at school. So um, that's kind of how the prior to them going home works. When parents come to pick them up, they meet with the nurse about medications and all of them have to have an appointment with a therapist within seven days of discharging. So some of them already meet with their school counselor on a regular basis, but also we want them to meet with someone in the, in the community as well. So I like that a lot because <laughs> discharging them without a plan to go to a therapist or have continued mental health help. Mm-hmm. is a recipe for disaster. Yeah. And so having a little having a plan for mental health help moving forward, some resources like therapy and stuff like that mm-hmm. sets them up for success. Um, Cause we, I mean, just as we have frequent flyers in our office, I imagine you guys sometimes have frequent flyers in your facility. We're like, Hey, I thought you left. I don't want you to be back here. <laughs> yes. In fact, I tell them that in the family meeting, I go, we love you and we're here for you to support you when you need us, but I need you to not need me. So we want you to be successful when you go home. <laughs> so. what, what do you think some of the, uh, I don't know, the best kept secrets about the facility that shouldn't be a secret are? Cause we all have those things those, about our organizations that were like, I wish more people knew about this part of our organization and not all the other parts. I I think that's a great question, actually, because that often is the make or break. Um, I would say part of it is how cool our child and adolescent psycho- or psychiatrist is, Dr. Elise uh, Coolidge. She is a young and pretty hip doctor. Um, the kids really respond to her, and she's very, very involved. Um, the adolescent psychiatrists function differently than um, a general adult does, a, a psychiatrist. Sometimes uh, general adult doctors, maybe they can come in, they spend a few minutes with a patient, uh, write a med and 
off mm-hmm. they go. But Dr. Uh, Coolidge actually sits down and meets one-on-one with every child every day. It's very intensive and she's very involved. She's not just prescribing meds. She's driving and directing and interacting with treatment. So it's a very integrated, comprehensive team that works with them. And um, sometimes if you go over, you have a hard time even meeting with the therapist or with uh, Dr. Coolidge because they're meeting with patients. So they're not warehoused here. It's a very interactive program. And we also have a very comprehensive experiential therapy department here that complements the work that Gina and Dr. Coolidge are doing. And they do music therapy, they do art therapy, they do yoga. Um, so those are all things. And, and, and the goal with that isn't just to keep them busy. It's to integrate their, uh, individual treatment plan and help develop coping skills because some of the things that they're learning are things that they can use when they go home, art therapy to use sketching mm-hmm. or journaling or to listen to music. So it, it's all part of their actual treatment. And that's part of how we help them develop coping skills. We also do pet therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. so it's a very comprehensive program of, of treatment. That would be kind of my thoughts. Did you want to add something to that? Yeah, team? I mean, in our treatment team, we're, we, I don't know, we're unique in the fact that we like each other. And so we get along really well. So we're able to communicate really well and parents get contacted daily by one of us. I like that. So that's really important for us. So I, I, and I'm just curious, on average, about how long does a child, does a student stay in your facilities? I mean, I'm, I know it depends on the situation, but I wonder if you guys have like a flying average of they're here about a week or a couple days or what you try and keep it to. Yeah, um, we stay seven to 10 days. I mean, there are those instances when they'll go home if they're not, parents aren't wanting medication changes to happen, but they'll go home within like five-ish days. But for the most part, they're here about a week, a week to 10 days. If they're waiting for residential, that can be a little bit longer um, just because some parents don't want to risk the chance of their kid coming home and hurting themselves again before that they makes sense. That makes sense. Well, the other thing I was going to add too is that our programs is for ages 12 to 17. I, I failed to mention that earlier. So, and it's um, co-ed. So no one younger than 12, um, anyone 18 or over would go on one of our adult units. Mm-hmm. Um, also on our unit, we're able to treat chemical dependency as well as primary mental health issues. Some of the kids are experimenting with, with drugs. So we, that's not a problem for us. We have a kid detoxing right now. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> Chemical dependency. That's a really nice way of saying drug addiction, drug addiction, y'all. Um, I like that wording. Um, <laughs> well, this has been so informative. I know a lot of times we get the, we get, I don't know, stereotypes or we get the rep of, well, this is where you go when kids are struggling, but you, they also, you guys also provide so much help and help kids get those good coping mechanisms so that they can get back out into the general world with those coping mechanisms, with a plan to succeed. Um, so yeah, um, any other thoughts, comments, violent reactions, JK, um, that you guys have before we leave today? Um, I would say one of our strengths is being able to, we know the resources in the community and kind of zero in on what someone needs. I think that's something that's hard for families and folks in the community to know where to refer someone and what level of care someone needs. Um, We are very good at that, uh, both at intake, but especially at our discharge, because we know which um, like intensive outpatient uh, programs there are and what insurances they take and, and what um, therapists are particularly skilled at trauma. So, 
so having the, um, that sensitivity and awareness of the resources at a clinical level is not something a lot of providers have. So I think that's a, a strength of ours. And that also speaks to Gina with her background. She worked in our admissions office for 11 or 12 years and um, is a very experienced therapist. She's completing her PhD. So that speaks to a lot of good experience and quality. It's not a brand new grad up there trying to kind of figure things out as they go. You know, it's, it's a solid program. And that's not to disparage a new graduate. It's just, you just <laughs> maybe it's not best to have them in charge of a program. So, yeah. You're good. You're good. Well, thank you guys so much for today. And thank you for listening to today's episode of The Sounding Board. If you guys have any questions or ideas or anything you want to hear next, please let us know. Hope you guys have a wonderful day and we'll see you on the next one. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Sounding Board. Email the sounding board at utschoolcounselor.org to send us your questions and ideas. If you like our podcast, please rate and review our show. It helps other school counselors to find us. Links and additional information for any references from today's episode are in our show notes. Check out our website at utschoolcounselor.org where you can listen to past podcast episodes, register for any of our professional development opportunities, and become a member of the Utah School Counselors Association. USCA members also receive a bi-monthly newsletter to stay up to date on current Utah School Counseling news, events, and issues. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Utah School Counselor and on Twitter at USCA Tweets. The mission of the Utah School Counselors Association is to support professional school counselors in their work for students through advocacy, professional development, recognition, and support. This podcast would not be possible without the support of our members. We'll have more ideas to share with you next week. Let's go.